0: Hello and welcome to episode seventeen of um, Under Further Review with Burke and Jen. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. And we are. I'm very excited to be here with you for our last pod of the calendar year 2016. Uh, The only year that could be so bad yet make us wish it were not about to become 2017. (laughs) Um, So today, we um, kind of a short pod, Um, there has been a lot going on, but kind of the big issues we were planning on talking about are the big issues of this week, which are um, two of the uh, big four sports leagues, Major League Baseball and uh, the NBA, reached new collective bargaining agreements with their players' associations, Um, and since that is very much in our uh, professional wheelhouse, we'll be discussing both of those. Um, also talking about the uh, latest in the Cardell Hayes Will Smith um, murder trial, and um, some hot takes on a uh, extreme version <laughs> of Survivor that is happening in Russia. Um, so, Jen, shall we start with the uh, the CBAs? I think so. Um, this is. For those of you who
1: are listening, we really appreciate your indulgence in us fully getting our labor law nerd on. Mm. Um, This is what we do day in and day out. Uh, Burke does a lot more table negotiations than I do. I used to do that until I
0: couldn't stand it anymore. Um, This week I had multiple people cry on me at the table (laughs) because I think... Because they're being overly emotional. <laughs> they think it's because I'm mean. But anyway. <laughs>
1: um, so I couldn't handle that, uh, the crying, the yelling. So I said, I'll do more of the contract administration and enforcement. So that's that's what I do most of the time now. But it is very exciting that two of the major – of the four major sports have reached – Uh, labor peace for the next five-ish years, which means no lockouts, no strikes, and that baseball can continue, and the NBA will happily continue into at least 2021. Um, I guess I just wanted to touch on the NBA one first, if that's okay? Sure. So, the NBA collective bargaining agreement was entered into, I think, in 2012-ish, following a long lockout, late start to the season season. The NBA Players Association sort of fell apart at that time. It was quite a mess, um, but they did enter into at that time a ten-year collective bargaining agreement with uh, either with an opt-out, uh, basically now. So. Um, Either side could say in like December of 2016, we no longer want to be bound by this agreement and they could, players could either strike or the uh, NBA owners could lock out their players. Um, So instead of doing either of those things, the two sides came together, reached a tentative agreement. The tentative agreement has about a month to be ratified by both sides. Um, I don't think anything significant was changed in this um, tentative agreement.
0: Yeah, it didn't look like, I mean, the <clears throat> sort of what's an interesting uh, sort of uniqueness about these sports leagues versus like other companies that have collective bargaining agreements or other industries that have collective bargaining agreements are that there's this the CBA that kind of covers operations for the league as a whole, mm-hmm. but then all the players have individual contracts. Whereas, you know, the contracts that I negotiate and that Jen um, interprets and administers They cover all of the employees, so it'll set out, like, this is the salary scale for everybody who's employed at this company or city or county or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, there. while I think the issues are um, certainly important and you need these kind of overriding CBAs to keep the leagues running smoothly, um, in terms of issues of interest for the public or, like, big numbers, I don't know that they're they're there the issues particularly MLB CBA seemed a little mm-hmm. bit esoteric but we can get into that later um, yeah so you know the 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 big
1: money issue for the NBA was the, the split of the revenues into the league uh, in 2010 2011 before the new the latest one the split was 5743 with players getting 50 percent of the pie and the owners getting 43 percent of the pie um, at that time the split went to 50-50. 5050. And the split is still 50-50, but I think the there's just so much more money in the NBA now because of the television contracts. I think it's a 24 billion nine-year contract with like ESPN and like TNT. Mm-hmm. So the split is the same, but the pie has just grown so large. Um, and that's what's really driven uh, some of what has taken place in these last negotiations, which is the minimum salary for our players has doubled. Average players, not superstars, not rookies, not, you know, but average players will probably be making like $9 million a
0: year. Sean Livingston's of the world. Yeah. I mean,
1: (laughs) it's an insane amount of money. Um, And so some of the more hot button issues, like um, I guess Adam Silver wanted to um, implement a zero or two policy, which means you can either enter the draft as out of high school or if you went to college you had to be in college for at least two Jeez. years before you would be eligible to enter into the draft huh. that you know that got put on a side burner um so it was i take that back actually adam silver wants every player to have two years of college the mba PA's proposal is a modification of that which is the zero and two that's what i meant to say but anyways that wasn't agreed to that was just something for discussion that so that's
0: uh, that's a issue for future negotiations. Um, um, and a lot of times, like in my in my experience, you know what'll happen is people you show up at the table and you have a bunch of issues that you would mm-hmm. love to deal with. Yeah. And then as negotiations go along, things fall off the table, or the other side will have like a horrible reaction, and you decide like this is not a fight that's worth having. We have more important fights to. Mm-hmm argue over um but uh sounds like this is either just an issue they wanted to flag so people would be prepared for the next round to deal with it or mm-hmm. um neither side was willing to give up anything in order to get in the deal
1: exactly and that's and that's what it seemed like to me it was kind of one of those everything is fine everyone yeah. is really happy the NBA is very popular um people are making more money so we're just going to kick this can down the road
0: um, and I think something, you know, particularly with the NBA um, uh, contract that Jen and I were talking about this right before we started recording, um, during the last round of negotiations that included the lockout, there were different kind of head representatives on each side. It was David Stern, um, the NBA commissioner, and then Billy Hunter, the head of the NBA PA, who was just a mess. Um, <laughs> yeah. David Stern, you know, was very... He um, seemed to like to, not as much as probably Roger Goodell, but really like to keep the power within his Mm -hmm. own office.
1: He was a very strong commissioner.
0: Yes. Whereas Adam Silver, um, you know, certainly I think he has shown um, a lot of strength in his decision-making since, didn't the um, Donald Sterling issue come up like within months of him becoming commissioner? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But on the other side, um, representing the NBA PA now Mm -hmm. is a woman by the name of Michelle Roberts, who I just want to take a moment because I... I don't know that there are a lot of... I've not had experience with a lot of women on the other side of the table. Is, for those of you who haven't le- listened to our earlier podcast, Jen and I are both on management side. Um, typically, at least in my experience, the folks on the union side are dudes. Um, mm-hmm. At That's least really it's the business reps. Um, so, A, to have a woman at the head of a um, sports league players association, I think is pretty cool. And mm-hmm. then I just... When she got the job, New York Magazine did a story about her. And I just, this quote, I just loved it. Um, So when asked about sort of her career and how things have have developed for her, she said, my past is littered with the bones of men who were foolish enough to think I was someone they could sleep on. And I just think that's awesome. And I'm really glad to see that um, she and Adam Silver have succeeded in preserving labor peace for the NBA for another few years because that lockout sucked. Yeah.
1: So she was a litigator at um, Skadden Arps and Aiken Gump who are like very, is it blue collar firm? no, white, white boy, shoe, white shoe for, yes, blue blooded. That's what I meant.
0: <laughs> I'm mixing my color metaphors this morning. Oh, you know, blue blood's like that horrible, but amazing CBS cop drama <laughs> with Donnie Wahlberg. And Tom Brady's Baby Mama, so. My My mother-in-law watches it, so. I feel like it's real, it's demographic, is people in their, like, 60s and 70s. Although a dear friend of mine who may be listening to this, it shoots in her neighborhood, and she was obsessed with it, so. um, Not to discount the younger demographic, but.
1: Yeah, and CBS (laughs) does have a a very sort of specific kind of audience.
0: I think my dad has watched every episode of NCIS that has (laughs) ever aired. (laughs)
1: Um, well, we're getting a little far afield. Yes, anyway. um, Yeah, so Michelle Roberts, I think, has really come in and sort of uh, cleaned house. The um, the leadership on the player side has definitely changed over from Derek Fisher was the president, now it's Chris Paul, LeBron James. The executive members include, like, Andre Iguodala and Steph Curry. Um, speaking of Warriors players, Draymond Green actually came out and said that he was not happy with the new tentative agreement. And his point... He, he tweeted about it, and he basically was, like, not happy with this. Um, but in a lengthy interview that he gave um, during practice, I think, or shoot-around on Thursday with the San Jose Mercury News, he said that – that I mean, his, thought, his comments were really actually very thoughtful. He's like, I'm not complaining because we are very lucky. We get to play this game, and we make lots of money. I'm not asking anyone to feel sorry for us. What I'm saying about this new agreement is that the gulf between – minimum salaries and superstar salaries have gotten so much wider. So it's not that um, I'm not complaining about all this money coming in, it's just that that spread has become so huge because you can have a player like Steph Curry who's projected to make like $200 million in his next contract. And just in salary. Just in salary. Non-endorsements for his horribly fucking ugly <laughs> shoes, man. Under armor shoes. I,
0: I love Steph. Oh. Like, <laughs> <ugh. laughs>
1: So, um, so that was his major complaint. Um, and you know, Draymond checking his <laughs> class privilege and also wanting just to spread the wealth a little more. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's a, it's a very, dare I say, socialist idea about wanting to spread that wealth. So
0: you just need money to pay off the people he punches in bars. Um, or did, well, I'm saying that now. I can't. I don't know that we ever checked back in on that case to see whatever happened with his arrest. Um, yeah, um, I don't think we did check back in. Though. Nothing. I, I haven't read anything about it So no, Yeah, maybe just went away. Hmm. We can look into that and get back to you at our next
1: pod. Oh, speaking of bringing things full circle, last week we asked if you could uh, be guilty of plagiarizing something if you're not writing it down. And yes, because I thought Melania Trump. She was guilty of plagiarizing Michelle Obama's speech, even though the speech was written. She said it out loud. Oh, Uh, sure. Yeah, so you can be
0: guilty of verbal plagiarism.
1: Verbal plagiarism. I mean,
0: I still am shocked that she didn't say, you know, when I was growing up as a young (laughs) black girl in Chicago. But uh, now we have four years of fun to look forward to. Except, well, we don't want to talk politics, I guess. um, But I guess she is not taking the office of the first lady in the White House. Ivanka will be doing that. That's
1: right. She is focused solely on Barron. Or baron, I don't. Know. I think
0: it's Baron. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, sort of an employment law related issue, though. Um, there's a reporter f- who worked for Politico. She's now working at the. She's since been hired by the Atlantic. Um, but during the kind of wind down of her career at Politico, I think her name is Julia Yoff. It's I O F F E. I can't pronounce it correctly. I apologize. Anyway, she tweeted a very off-color comment about Ivanka Trump taking over the first lady's office at the White House, and was subsequently fired by Politico. Um, And, of course, that kicked off a First Amendment rights versus it's a private employer. They don't have to put up with this debate mm -hmm. on Twitter, which is a really great place to um, talk about constitutional (laughs) issues that are nuanced. That's right.
1: 140 characters to capture like hundreds and hundreds of years of constitutional law
0: jurisprudence. Um, But, uh, well, that's really, those comments from Draymond are very interesting. Um, It's not to get too far away from the NBA contract or to dive in on the NHL contract, which, um, is still in place, but they've had um, labor disputes as part of the past two rounds of negotiations. Um, their players, it was definitely, they've had a much more dramatic split. They lost a whole season back Mm -hmm. in the um, early two thousands and, um, the kind of breakdown in, amongst the players was um, pretty public and awful. Um, And so it's interesting to, I guess it's interesting and good to see, even though, you know, Draymond feels like he can come out and say, like, I don't know if this is a great idea, Mm -hmm. but still say it in a way that's not completely undermining the leadership of the PA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, especially since um, two of his teammates are... That would be awkward. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like Iggy would not appreciate that. So. I yeah,
1: totally agree. Um, some of the other features of the new tentative agreement: it's a longer season, shortened preseason, fewer back-to-back games. Basically, all going towards getting players rested. Um, I don't know if it's um, to avoid situations that happened this week where the Cavs sat you know, Kyrie, LeBron, and Kevin Love, I mean, not only sat them, but they didn't even fly to Memphis to play. Um, So if you have fewer back-to-back games, then there might be not as many occasions for that happening. So the ticket buyer will feel that he or she is getting the full value of the ticket that they purchased. Um, Similarly with the MLB CBA, um, the contract, the new contract will run through the 2021 season, but it, it will be a longer season and there will be more rest in between
0: games. Um, I know this isn't a legal issue, but what are your thoughts on longer seasons? I feel like baseball's never baseball never ends.
1: It's uh, just no. I I agree, and I feel like you shouldn't be playing hockey in June. No, like unless you live in Lapland, there's no there's no ice that. Is no, I guess
0: basketball doesn't throw me off so much because growing up that was like a winter sport but you can play it outside in the summer so that doesn't seem like super weird Mm -hmm. but yeah hockey and baseball i just like baseball they played in november yeah right yeah and it starts in april yes that's too long Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) yeah i i'm not a huge i would and i understand how this will never happen i would rather have the season shorter and have fewer games but again like, owners would never agree to that because it's just less revenue for them. Um, but, yeah, I just think that it there's something – Not that, not that the NFL is a model for a lot of things, but I think a lot of the reasons why people are so interested in the NFL is that there's 16 games, and each one has to mean something because – Yeah. Yeah, right? It's not – That you can't go through, like, a bad patch, like a baseball team or a basketball team, and still end up in the playoffs. If you
0: go through a bad patch in the NFL, you're kind of done. And I think some of the speculation as to why the ratings have dropped so much this season is because we're being oversaturated with football. It used to be, Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was a kid, you had your all-day on Sunday and then Monday night games. Yes. Now you have Thursday night. Saturday night, mm-hmm. Sunday, Monday couple Monday night games. Mm-hmm. I want to say there were some, maybe it was because it was like one of the holiday games. It was on a Friday. It's just like, it's too much. It and uh, I, I believe that was Mark Cuban's in particular mm-hmm. publicly stated that theory that that's why um, the NFL owners got greedy and they want games all the time and now people, you know, can't yeah. make, it's not like occasion viewing anymore. No,
1: and you know, and there's a lot that I disagree with that comes out of Richard Sherman's mouth, but there's also a lot I do agree with that comes out of Richard Sherman's mouth, and that includes um, the fact that Thursday games are not very good because players aren't well-rested, and so you... Have a short week to prepare. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I think I've talked about this in the past, but living on the West Coast, Thursday night and Monday night games, they don't really mean anything to
0: me because by the time I get home, they're half over. Right. I wonder if that's why the Seahawks are wearing those horrible, garish, neon green uniforms now, because they can't perform (laughs) as well as normal, so they're just going to distract their opponents. Like, it hurt my eyes. I flipped on... My dad called me and told me that the uniforms were horrible, and I have not been watching the NFL this season, as has been documented earlier (laughs) in the podcast. Um, But I had to flip it on to see these uniforms, and it legitimately hurt my eyes to see them on television.
1: I told my husband that, exactly, we were watching, and I was like, I can't watch anymore, because my eyes are starting to hurt. And I literally walked out of the room. Um,
0: The LA Rams, for all of their struggles, though, have really um, very classic looking uniforms, so... Good on them.
1: So, um, <laughs> because you haven't been watching this year, it's the Thursday night games have been the games where they do do those like uh, one color uniforms or their throwbacks. Oh, so, so
0: it's like the third jersey idea. Yes, yeah, okay. that, so
1: that's the night that those come out of the. In, Got uh, it. Yeah, so,
0: they should stay in, I think. I uh, think so too. <laughs> well,
1: definitely for the Seahawks. Um, I think the only other thing thing that I wanted to mention going back to the MLB CBA is that the number of random drug tests have increased from 3,200 to 4,800. That's league-wide. Yes, that is league-wide, which is still not very much. Um, And that was really, and I think I talked about the fact that the All-Star Game won't have home field implications going forward, but
0: you got into a deep dive on international player Drafting role, I did. Um, so I didn't really. I guess I was. I'd never paid that much attention to how international players come into the league. Um, although Big Poppy from the DR has a very special place in my heart, but he was here, so I was just happy that he was here. Um, so under the um, current, or I guess the prior CBA, um, people who were coming from outside of the U.S. and Canada didn't weren't subject to the um, amateur draft, which meant that they could go and negotiate their own contracts, um, not subject to any kind of the rookie minimums or other structures that are placed around um, players who were drafted. Now on the one hand, like if this were a, a kind of a normal industry, you would think the union would want everybody to be kind of covered by the same single contracts. It would improve their collective power. But because Major League Baseball, like other um, sports leagues, the CBA doesn't really dictate what players' salaries are beyond kind of setting minimums and maximums, yes. not the individual um, salaries per each contract, Um, the union was supportive of letting these players kind of go and negotiate as best they could Mm -hmm. for whatever the um, owners would pay them. Owners, of course, were um, not interested in or would like to avoid having to pay really young players a ton of money, um, particularly when they've got rules that apply to people they draft um, that caps the amount of money they can make in the early years of their career. So they were looking to set up an international Draft for um, players. They it would not apply to folks who were playing in what are considered professional leagues in places like Japan and Taiwan oh, okay. and Cuba. Oh. but um, to you know guys who are just playing in um, you know the leagues and like the Dominican Republic and Venezuela are cited as kind of two of the biggest examples mm-hmm. of places where you'd have players coming and not being subjected to the draft and then making a ton of money right out of the gate. Um, so that was the deep dive on the international draft. We'll see how, see how it goes. Um, all of this comes back to, you know, the, the way major league baseball is the only one of the four big sports. And by those, I, I know there was some debate as to whether the NHL should be included, but, um, for
1: purposes of the, this podcast, it is,
0: <laughs> um, NHL, NBA, major league baseball and the NFL major league baseball is the only one that doesn't have a salary cap. And the idea uh, you know, of a salary cap for those of you who have never put a lot of thought into this is like, it keeps says that teams can only sign their players collectively for a total of X amount of dollars. Um, so it depresses the argument by players that it artificially depresses salaries. And like, if these owners are dumb enough to pay me 6 million bucks and I'm, you know, like a third line winger for, mm-hmm. you know, a mediocre team, like that's on them. I should be able to make my money. In Major League Baseball, they have the luxury tax, which um, is basically a revenue sharing model, mm-hmm. um, which is meant to—it's not as strict as a salary um, salary cap because it's not a hard number that you cannot go over. But it does effectively punish teams who exceed the um, the luxury tax amount. The LA Dodgers last year, I think, got out had a record forty three percent tax applied against them because they're. Payroll was nearly $300 million. Um,
1: and the argument on the other side for the salary cap is that um, if you are limited in how much you spend on players, it just brings more parity into the league. You won't have people like the LA Dodgers right. who have just endless sources of money and just spend you know, an insane amount and can build like super teams basically. Um, and and prevents teams like the Oakland A's for example from falling off the face of the earth because they don't have those kinds of resources
0: and I think what I what I kind of like about the salary cap is that it does it should force people to get creative and be really smart about how mm-hmm. they spend their money and how that affects the team they put on the field or the court or the ice um, but at the same time I get the impulse from Athletes who are like, I this career is not going to last me very long. I think the average NFL player's career is like three years or something. I gotta make as much money as I can. There are no, there are very. I don't know if there are any other jobs in this country where you could make that much money that early in your career. Um, and so I, so I kind of, I get where they're coming from, but I also, I do, I think I've seen and particularly with the NHL, like the impact of the salary cap, Mm -hmm. where there is absolutely more parity. You never know who's going to get in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. There was a couple teams pretty certain of. um, But, uh, you know, for folks who live in Florida and they're big Panthers fans, although I realize that's a sore spot this season, like they, one season can be in the toilet, and Mm -hmm. then the next season they're in the playoffs getting through to, you know, the conference finals or something, so...
1: Yeah, just a side note on that. I think it's always a really interesting argument that people make about um, the fact that like their careers are so short and they have to make as much money as possible in order to sustain themselves. I can't imagine outside of the professional sports context where I have to say, I'm making as much money as I possibly can for the next few years because I'm not working thereafter at all. Or like the job that I have after that will not allow me to, like, sustain a lifestyle. Not even, like, an extravagant one, but just, like, you know, a modest one. And that that was... If you heard that, by the way, that was probably my nephew who lives upstairs
0: either dunking his basketball or destroying something else, so... Um, that's, that's a really interesting point. I was kind of thinking of it more from the perspective of, I have a skill and I, my skill is very valuable on the market, but the Mm -hmm. skill is not going to last for a long time. So like, I should take advantage of that so I can prepare for the future, Mm -hmm. but you're right. There are a lot, excuse me, there are a lot of players who do seem to take the position that, like, I'm just not going to get a job or, after my y- career is over. Yes, or, or this
1: career has to set, set me up, me up for literally the next 60 years or 50 years even. And, uh, you know, and there's a very small segment of the population that is very if fortunate enough to do that, whereas everybody else has to work until retirement age, which is, you know, anywhere between 50 and 67 in this country, depending on who you work
0: for. Yeah, and maybe, like... 75 by the time yes
1: by the time you and I are (laughs) thinking about it um so so yeah so salary cap luxury tax um you know not there wasn't a ton of change from that perspective I think the caps maybe
0: yeah they're they're gradually growing Mm -hmm. um through the term of the contract and a lot of times you'll see that it's you know partially based on inflation and then the idea that revenues are going up Mm -hmm. in general so um
1: yeah, so, um, so as we were talking earlier, uh, before we started, we sort of didn't think that you would want to be subjected to us talking ad nauseum about like the nuances of each agreement or TAs. And instead, it was more like what sort of practical, um, not advice necessarily, because this is not a podcast that provides legal advice, but sort of what we run into in our practice about you know, bargaining these agreements and then sort of the after effects of bargaining such agreements?
0: Yeah. So as someone who spends a lot of time at the bargaining table, it's, uh, you know, as much as it is about kind of the nitty gritty of, um, getting down to contract language, a lot of it is personalities and people and relationships. And there are a lot of feelings at the, at the table, um, cause you're talking to people about the way that they support themselves and their families. Mm-hmm um and you know it's it's hard to overcome feelings like if i feel like i'm underpaid yes. it kind of doesn't matter if i in fact am making you know more money than most people my age or most people in my career or most or people that's
1: compared to your same job but in like different like a- agencies or different employers right? right
0: like i had a we had i had an issue at a table this week where the um, union was asserting like well we're just underpaid We ask them, well, what do you mean, like, what do you mean you're underpaid? How do you establish that? Like, well, we just, we're just not paid enough. And, you know, that's, that's a really challenging thing to get past. And I think you'll see when, or at least kind of following the news coverage of a lot of these sports, um, league CBAs, uh, the feelings seem to get in the way a lot of times, like people just get so angry at the Mm -hmm. other side that at that point, it doesn't matter what you put on the table. Um, just can't reach a deal. I I think the NHL is a really good example of that because the players, it seems like almost to a man, loathe Gary Bettman, the commissioner. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, you know, when you're starting off your your negotiations on that note where it's like I hate your guts, Mm -hmm. getting over, getting past that kind of bump in the road to get a deal can be super challenging. And, um, you know, I've negotiated deals where um, just the relationships were in such kind of disarray that even though folks got like a pretty decent amount of money in terms of the overall contract, they still felt shitty about it because they were okay. mad at the people yeah. that they mm-hmm. were negotiating with. Yep. Um, so I guess that's, that's kind of my biggest takeaway from these.
1: I think one of the things um, that I find interesting is that it, the the team that you negotiate with at the table across the table from you their interests are very well represented because they're sitting across the table from you. Right. So there will oftentimes be a lot of provisions that speak directly to those people as opposed to the wider membership of the union.
0: Definitely. I've had I've had times where we'll, you know, I'll go back into when you are kind of just meeting with your team, we call it a caucus. So when I'll go back into caucus after we've had, you know, the union present their proposals mm-hmm. and the p- folks from the client who, you know, deal with these people every day will be like, well, that's that's a gen provision. you know she Mm -hmm. had this issue and that's why we're seeing this across the table Mm -hmm. now the problem can be that if you don't reach a resolution on that particular issue um, if that person is not looking out for the best interest of their entire membership that could hold up a deal Mm -hmm. like they won't let you close the deal unless their problem is solved yeah Um, so that can be frustrating um, and you know there can also be a challenge if the people you're talking with at the table don't have a good sense of what the whole membership wants. Exactly, Because um, Jen used the term tentative agreement or TA earlier when talking about the um, NBA deal. And what that means is the two bargaining teams have tentatively agreed. So they're cool with the deal, but now they have to take it back to their members. Mm -hmm. So for the NBA, PA, that's the players for the, um, NBA for Adam Silver—that's his ownership um, interest—and they have to vote on it. And if those members don't like the deal you've reached, if yeah. there are you know enough Draymond Greens who are going to say like, "No, this deal sucks. I don't like it," mm-hmm. then you're kind of starting—you're back where you started from. Um,
1: um, but not only are you back where you started from, but there's a whole new load of yeah. bad feelings because you basically have spent how much time at the table trying to reach a TA. And you basically are saying to yourself, you didn't educate your members well enough. You didn't keep them well-informed enough so that they knew that this package coming to them was not a surprise. Um, So I think that that's one of the things that that I know that I struggle with because – I do contract enforcement, but I also do sort of the the end of negotiations where you know there's the possibility of a strike. We don't have employer lockouts in our in our field because we deal with public agencies. You can't just shut down a city because you think that the unions are you know not cooperating with you. Uh, you have you are under obligation to provide services to the public. But um, you know I deal on I deal with lots of potential strikes and strikes and. Hmm you know, whether or not how many of those strikes could be avoided if the information getting out to the membership was more clear or, um, not quite as, you know, or maybe just sort of that whole package being presented in a way that's like, okay, well, we're behind this, you should be too, because here's what we have, like, you know, we listened to you, here's the deal that we got for you, um, as opposed to some people feeling like the, they're being blindsided by, you know, what was tentatively agreed to. Um, something else that I think is an interesting aspect of, you know, bargaining, and I'm sure it doesn't come into play as much because these are, these are very special kinds of negotiations and not like sort of the bread and butter um, ones. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, there's like so many antitrust issues involved here, whereas, you know, right. we don't have to deal with those at all.
0: No, and you know, to the extent that there's a lockout or a strike in one of these sports leagues, the entire industry shuts down. Yes, like if we have, um, you know, a strike at a particular, um, like, uh, you know, health clinic or something, that's one or a couple sites. Mm-hmm. People can go other places for healthcare. You know, it'll it'll be. Shitty, but it 'll all be fine probably
1: or or even if you even if the strike does sort of impede services at that clinic, the clinic itself will not totally shut down because there 's usually managers or other right. unrepresented people who could go in
0: and do some work, you know, on an emergency basis. Um, whereas, you know, if the NBA owners decide they, you know, they don't have an agreement, they're going to lock out their players. And that's the distinction between a lockout and a strike is that the management locks you out, employees strike. Mm-hmm. Um, there's There are no games, nothing's happening. Like maybe the management folks will show up at the office and kind of twirl their thumbs. But otherwise there's just nothing going on and there can't be until they restart and reopen their doors.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's pretty fascinating. Um, just that whole aspect of um, the lockout and the strike. And I think in professional sports and almost the lockout and the strike happen simultaneously. I don't. Yeah. It seems
0: like at least the last few um, uh, labor disputes that have come up, they've been locked, locked out, outs, yeah. um, which I know the players um, seem quite sensitive to um, ensuring that, people use the right language around that. Like oh, they're absolutely. not striking. Yes. They locked us yes, out.
1: They're preventing us from going to work.
0: Um, and I, you know, we were um, talking about like, why is it that the owners lock them out immediately on, you know, 1201 the day after the contract expires. So like in our world, if you don't have an agreement when your old contract expires, like things just keep kind of going along. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the employees could strike, Um, if you're not at a public agency, we also represent some private agencies, um, or private clients, like they, they could lock you out, Mm -hmm. um, but usually nothing really happens. It just kind of, it's like, all right, this is the process is taking however long it takes. Um, so the idea that, you know, as soon as the, you know, calendar flips over the day after the contract expires, um why why is it that owners feel compelled to like immediately lock their players out. We didn't really land on a good answer no, to that.
1: Absolutely not. And I, I think that it's something that I'd like to explore on my own nerd time. <laughs> but um some of the things that we saw that like in a lockout all trades stop. Um you know sort of the wheeling and dealing stop. So maybe that's potentially why. Yeah,
0: it could be that, you know, the owners don't want other they don't want to give other teams the ability to kind of run around without the um, framework of the league-wide CBA mm-hmm. governing their behavior. Um, typically, there's a it's referred to. This is super nerdy, but it's referred to as like the dynamic status quo <laughs> that um, you know things. If you don't have a new contract, basically whatever was in your old contract kind of stays in place. Um, but I think there would probably be room for malfeasance if there weren't a like contract currently in force yeah and do.
1: and because individual players are subject to their individual contracts and there may be more wiggle room in terms of how you deal with those since the overarching cba might not cover like when you can i mean i know there's free agency periods and like trade periods and things like that but if um if there's nothing specific, then maybe you could engage in in some trades or, like, at least talking to other people, which I know you're not allowed to do, that's not, that's clearly prohibited,
0: you know? What is that called?
1: Um, the collusion one, or? No, the,
0: the um...
1: Tampering. Tampering, yes. Yeah.
0: Yep. Can't talk to you about
1: potential future jobs.
0: No. Yeah. Um, so... Anyway, good news that um, it appears at least two of the four major sports leagues will be at labor peace for the foreseeable future. I'm not feeling real confident about the NHL. Um, Just as a quick aside, they – I don't think we discussed this last week, but stop me if we did. Um, The NHL, um, as many of you may know, their players have participated in the past few Olympic Games not something that the owners... We did talk about this. We did? All right, okay. so I'll stop talking now. <laughs> but anyway, it's, uh appears that that was not something the players were willing to trade to extend a contract that mm. they don't like. Um, so we'll see. I want to say that contract expires in the next couple years. So. Yeah. Um,
1: um, and I know that NFL contract is good for another... Ten years? Eight years. It's a long contract. It's
0: also, I will say, that's something else that's kind of unique to sports leagues versus um, sort of other private and in- industry and public sector is the length of these contracts. Mm-hmm. I, I think the longest deal I've seen signed with any of my clients is like five years. Um, sometimes they'll just kind of have extensions if they don't if nobody wants to change anything major. Yeah. So it's like we'll just do a rollover with salary increases, but I um, 10 years is a long time. It is. But then again, you're not talking about individual players' salaries. So, Yeah,
1: it's more about conduct, travel, things like that. The um, NHL collective bargaining agreement expires in 2022. But the first opportunity for um, either party opting out would be September 1st, 2019.
0: Interesting. So we'll have at least a couple years of things being quiet. What I would love to understand from someone at the NHL... So their season starts in October. Why do they have a September 1, like, expiration date? It seems like you're really coming up on (laughs) the season, and it leaves you very little time to figure things out before it all goes sideways.
1: Um, Yeah, I have no idea, but it is kind of strange you mentioned that, like, people cling to start and end dates of contracts, like, irrationally so. Um, maybe t- 10, 15, 20 years ago, it meant something different than it does now. But like, oh no, the day contract's going to start on this day and it's got to end by this day. It's really
0: strange. But. I, yeah, I had a fight with a group who they wanted their contract to end like late November and I was looking at them, I'm like, you realize your, your contract basically expires on Thanksgiving. Like, mm-hmm. why are you doing this to me and yourself? Mm-hmm. And they just wouldn't let it go. They're like, well, maybe we can move to like October 31st. I'm like, oh. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um yeah like I said, people irrationally cling to things. Um, so I think that's enough CBA talk from the both of us. It's um, been forty minutes. Yeah, yeah. it's a whole lot. <laughs> um, I mean, we, we can jokes. <laughs> yeah, we could have done that all day. Unfortunately, um, but uh, the other things we did want to talk about very quickly before we adjourn for the year, um, just to give everyone an update on the Cardell Hayes trial. Uh, we talked extensively about the trial last Saturday, but it the jury did come back with a verdict of manslaughter and attempted manslaughter for Mr. Hayes which uh the manslaughter charge the maximum sentences Burke mentioned last week was 40 years and then there's 20 years for the attempted manslaughter of Raquel Smith oh. so um there might be uh the sentencing is coming up and i think that the prosecution is asking for consecutive sentences. So that would be 60 years as opposed to concurrent sentences, which would be a maximum of 40 years. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, um, was in reading all of the, the articles that came out of the times, I think um, it's how it's pronounced. I just <laughs> like saying that, um, but it <laughs> what does was, it mean? I actually don't know. We'll look that up. Look it up. <laughs> um, but that how Cardell Hayes's testimony was so different than his initial statements to the police
0: oh, that's and trying. how it
1: so it contradicted his initial statements to the police. It contradicted forensic evidence. and it also contradicted the testimony of his friend in the car. So at that point, I'm like, why are you still talking, Mr. Hayes? Like why
0: did they put him on a stand in the first place? I don't know. I'm
1: so my understanding is that his defense attorneys are very highly regarded. Like in some articles I read, they were like, you know, maybe considered two of the best defense attorneys in the country, definitely in Louisiana. And um but it's just that like, you know, he I think he said um at the time of the april incident that smith was going for his gun and he feared for his life but at the trial he said that like smith shot first
0: oh no
1: and um and that he had been um physically assaulted by smith and by hernandez and that wasn't corroborated by anybody um and it's just I, it, that was just boggling, mind-boggling to me.
0: Like, so was his statement to the police consistent with what his friend in the car said? I believe so. That's yeah, that's weird. So this is not legal advice. This is just life advice. If you get arrested, just say I want my lawyer, and keep repeating that until yes, you get your lawyer. Until you get your lawyer. Um, and uh, and I was gonna say this would be a great um. Uh, sort of, um, example of why you should do that, but it sounds like it wasn't until after he got his lawyers that his story changed, which is, um, yeah, yeah, very odd to say the least.
1: So, um, you know, and and he said, and one of the other things that Hayes said was that Smith shot his wife, uh, probably inadvertently, but, like, the the bullet in her leg or legs came from Will Smith's gun, and not Cardinal Hayes' gun, but that contradicted all the forensic evidence that was put on before Cardell Hayes took the stand so at that And point, he's sitting in the courtroom
0: for all of this so his
1: lawyer's sitting in yeah. the courtroom for all of this so even if like even if he had a different story like you were sitting up there and contradicting these seemingly objective, scientific-y people. Like, yeah. it's not like you're, uh, you know, your story is different than Hernandez's story, which you expect. Right. Wow. You know, so it was really strange. But um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting was that um, closing arguments took, like, five hours. Oh, wow. Prosecution went for, I think, like, 45 minutes. <laughs> Defense went for three hours and 37 minutes. And oh, then the boy. prosecution's rebuttal
0: was, like, half an hour.
1: I'm like, five hours of closing argument with... Yeah,
0: if you can't make your argument in, like, 45 minutes to an hour, there's something... Yeah. ...wrong. Um,
1: I don't even think the trial took that long. It was only, like, a week, right? Yeah.
0: Jeez. That's a... That's a long time to expect a jury to keep paying attention and, like, follow your stream of logic, Mm -hmm. so... Yeah. But, um, you
1: know, it's unfortunate because... um, yeah, it's just unfortunate, but I I just was really struck by how things sort of went in this direction that I wasn't expecting.
0: Right. I mean, I think the last coverage anyone had of sort of where Cardinal Hayes was at before he obviously testified, it sounded like his story was consistent with what his friend said, somewhat consistent with what the, um, forensic evidence was showing, and then to have it all go so horribly wrong when he got on the stand, which he's not obligated to do. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Yeah, it's just a sad story all around. Um, I don't know. I wonder, if there's anything to appeal even at this point.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, that I don't know. That would be really interesting to to determine. But, um, so that is the wrap-up from from things will. From the Cardell Hayes trial.
0: So, uh, our last item, I don't really know that it has anything to do with the law. I was just, given what's going on between our country and Russia at the moment, it jumped out to me. um, It could have legal implications. And it could have legal implications. So there is a new Russian reality show called Game 2 Winter, um, (laughs) where contestants pay like hundreds of thousands of dollars To be on this show where they're dumped in the Siberian, I believe it's pronounced Taiga. It's a very cold forest with wild bears and dangerous insects. And they have to live there for nine months. So it's basically Hunger Games Russia.
1: Hunger Games Russia meets
0: Survivor.
1: Oh, no, no. I guess Hunger Games covers Survivor. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Um,
0: So the... um, the, the producers have this, like, crazy waiver that they're having contestants sign that basically says they're taking no liability for anything. And two examples of things that they said, at least, I don't know if this is written in their contract, that they are not taking responsibility for are rape and murder. So you could become a contestant on this reality show and get murdered on TV. And, or raped. Or raped. Um, and, you know, nothing Nothing will will. Happen to well i guess still no. the people who murder or rape you could be held liable yes. but the producers not the are not taking yeah um responsibility for that um apparently they will be permitted contestants will be permitted 100 kilograms of equipment they will not be permitted to carry guns but they can have knives because you mm-hmm. don't want to go too crazy um and uh the winner will win about um 1.65 million dollars 100 million rubles uh yeah. so it's just i mean having seen the way that like russian oligarchs act um on um, the idea of them like freezing to death out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> doesn't bother me so much maybe it should and i really hope the russians aren't hacking into this <laughs> podcast as we speak um but it's just like what uh, how has the world come to this and i just i don't
1: know I don't really know how the world has come to this. <laughs> I will say though that if anyone has ever spent like five minutes on YouTube in those like YouTubed Russian car accident videos, and you could literally spend days watching these, but any incident of road rage in in Russia is usually met with like baseball bats, axes, guns, definitely fighting, but it's kind of out of control, and they don't seem like. There are a lot of rules for the road, either, so anything could become a road rage incident. Um,
0: Yes, I think I've watched a couple of those Russian car accident videos, like the ones that became really famous, and Mm -hmm. it's just, it's awful. I like the Finnish um, police cars with the harpoons that they shoot (laughs) at vehicles better than (laughs) the. those videos are hilarious yeah but anyway (laughs) um but so there's no film crew on the show right it's just thousands of cameras set up in the forest yeah so
1: i I couldn't uh would are you able to watch it on like youtube like how do you follow is it like a particular channel that you have to follow
0: i don't know that the story that i read explained that Mm -hmm. um whether it's just something so like I don't watch this show, but I understand that, like, Big Brother in the U.S., they have, like, a weekly show, mm-hmm. but then they have cameras that are running in the house oh, that you can watch the, online so can watch all, all the, the time. Feed. Got it. So it may be something like that where they take, like, the best clips and compile it into a, sh- a weekly show, but then you could just watch them anytime you wanted to Damn. on um, on the internet. That's just so disturbing on it's, so many levels. There was a movie that came out a while back. I think it was called Series 7, and it's set in the United States kind of the same i mean it's more aggressive in that you are literally being charged with killing people and you have to be the actual like last survivor and you win a bunch of money Um, but i mean this is basically feels like this is what the show is gonna turn into it's like a nine month long purge or something yeah kind of Hmm. i would not want to live even if i wasn't under threat of rape or murder i would not want to live in the forest for nine months (laughs) well in siberia yeah well especially in siberia um yeah, so the 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 guy who created the show said he was hoping to attract the rich and risky and uh yeah, you have to pay about $165,000 to join the show. Wow. Wow. All
1: right. Well, you know, if we um if I can ever figure out how to <laughs> find footage of this, we'll upload it somewhere, but um yes. I'm I'm not sure that I'm going to look super hard for it. I might I don't want to I might see disturbing things.
0: Yeah, the, um, the producers, to a point Jen made earlier, the producers did emphasize that, like, we're in the Russian Federation and you're subject to the laws of the Russian Federation, so just because we can't be held liable if you get raped or murdered, that doesn't mean the rapist or murderer won't be held liable, which I... By, by the authorities. Um, but, of course, you know, the cops always seem to show up just 10 minutes too late, so... <laughs> or at least in the movies they do, so...
1: <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, in this instance, it's not like you can call for help. I know where the
0: hell are they gonna even come from? So apparently you can get off of the show by hitting some kind of emergency button and then a helicopter will come very much like the Hunger Games with the dead bodies. <laughs> right. and, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I don't think it's spoiling it to say that there are dead bodies in the Hunger Games. Probably Game, not. Yeah. I think that's
0: kind of implied. Um so yeah, they'll a helicopter will show up and come and get you. Yeah. I don't it didn't seem to indicate if like the Hunger Games they have like supply drops and
1: Yeah, I don't know, because you're supposed to go in with, like, 100 kilos worth of gear. Right. Yeah, and and I think the emergency call button, if you want to get off, if you're sick or whatever, like, I think that's a satellite phone, so I don't know if they equip everyone with a satellite phone that you can then, like, call. I mean, I don't know that the helicopter would show up if you hit the button as you were being murdered and it would save you. Um, Because I don't think that's that fast. Um, So that's... Uh, it from us the peanut gallery for 2016. Um, Uh We'll be back in the new year. Um, In the meanwhile, please provide a rating for us on iTunes. We're still at the point where we don't have enough uh, reviews in order to come up with an average review. So I implore all of you all four of you to um, give us your your review. We'd actually really would appreciate the feedback as well.
0: Yes, um, and I hope everyone has a, um, for those of you who celebrate the end of your holidays, have a, have a wonderful holiday, and uh, otherwise, fuck you, 2016. <laughs> Let's do this. Happy <laughs> New Year, everyone. Bye. <laughs>